Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio version of my show, Rebel Roundup, where we cover the hottest Rebel stories of the week. Today, my guests are Jessica Swetnowski and Sheila Gunn-Reed. If you like the podcast, then you should become a premium content subscriber. That gets you access to the video versions of my show, as well as shows from Ezra Levent and Sheila Gunn-Reed. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, and as a special bonus for you, we're offering a 10% discount if you use the coupon code PODCAST. Just go to therebel.media slash shows to become a member. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy the show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Is it a he or a she or something in between? I know that kind of sounds like the promotional tagline for a cheesy 50s horror flick, but Jonathan slash Jessica Yaniv is a real-life terror, and Jessica Swetnowski will drop by to explain why this disturbed individual is garnering international media coverage and making Canada a laughingstock in the process. Look up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's, well actually it's a cuckoo named Al Gore who flew into Minnesota recently to preach that Canadian crude oil via Line 3 is bad for that state. Even though the state of Minnesota <laughs> relies heavily on Canadian crude oil, Sheila Gunn-Reed will explain how this climate Cassandra continues to spout nonsense at the corner of chutzpah and hypocrisy. And finally, letters. We get your letters. We get your letters every minute of every day. And I'll share some of your responses regarding how Vancouver Pride last weekend banned the University of BC and the Vancouver Public Library from taking part in its parade. Their sin? Apparently allowing free speech on campus and in the library is tantamount to an act of transphobia if the speakers happen to espouse different views than the politically correct narrative. Those are your rebels, now let's round them up. What he wasn't prepared for was me sticking around after the event was over to ask him some more questions. When he was caught by surprise, that's when all hell broke loose. He dropped his victimhood mask and his mother lost her cool. They believe Hello. that you're using your transgender identity. Um, police assistance again, please, at 970 Homer. Um, I have, Are you calling um, the police? Yeah. We agreed yeah. to do an interview. Yeah, but I, 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 can you just stop following me, please? I just had a couple other questions for you. Excuse me, why, why are you enabling Jessica I don't want, to, I don't do you want think to, it's appropriate don't, don't, to have a topless swim party with don't, parents? Don't, don't, okay? Don't, you're not allowed you, to arrest me. I excuse me. Hey, call the police. Run, excuse me. Call the police. Call the police. Listen, I don't want you to get upset. I'm just asking you a question. Yeah. Mom, you will be shot. You station, 
You will be jumped. You are harassing me. You are harassing me. I'm just asking you a question. Okay, we see you in court. Let's really Go away from my face before I slap you. Go away. You're approaching me now, man. So just what is one to make of Jonathan slash Jessica Yaniv and his, her ongoing crusade to get his genitalia waxed at female-only spas? Is this guy all about gaming the system, given the numerous human rights complaints he's filed against spas that have declined his patronage? Or is this some elaborate hoax we're observing here? Because if this is indeed some sort of practical joke, what, pray tell, is the punchline? And joining me now with more on a story that is generating international media attention is our very own Jessica Swenowski, who recently visited Mr. Yaniv in Vancouver. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Jessica. So, Jessica, first of all, outstanding report. Uh, it was fantastic, and I urge all our viewers to, to go watch it in its entirety. You got up close and personal to this person. What is your take? What is the deal with this person? You know, it's hard to pinpoint because this person obviously has mental issues. This is not these, uh, these lawsuits, these complaints, just the way this person has behaved in public. You've seen there's been viral videos going around of him threatening to pepper spray a journalist. Like, this is not a normal, sane, rational person we're dealing with. And this story has so many moving parts, yes. which is why I, when, I, when I went to Vancouver, I wanted to really just stay there for, for like a few days to try and get all these moving pieces together and trying to get all sides of the story. Not, I did get to speak to Yaniv himself, but also I got to speak to one of the waxologists that he complained yes. against. Uh, I spoke to some other people, um, one of the younger girls that he contacted um, when she was 14. So I spoke to her about that, uh, that conver those conversations. Um, yeah, this person, um, it doesn't, the, the thing that I hate the most about this whole story is that this person obviously want, likes the attention. Right. So I hate to give him that attention, but at the same time, these are, this is a predatorial type of person that needs to be, you know, they, he needs to be, has, have a, like a light shine shone on him and you know yeah I, I think there's a term for that we've seen in the past Jessica media whore uh, comes to light it would all be so amusing if there wasn't a dark side to this mm -hmm. couple of things some of these people that he's gone after for this waxing uh, of his genitalia they've gone out of business mm -hmm. uh, they've endured quite a lot of stress uh, then there was this very creepy, and I guess right now these, this is in the stage of allegations, nothing's being proven in court, about reaching out to female minors. In, part of your report showed him doing a Elmo-like voice from mm -hmm. Sesame Street. Uh, you could barely make out what the gibberish was saying. It, it, this is downright weird. And I think the, f the third thing is that He's being aided and abetted by a taxpayer-funded entity, the BC Human Rights Tribunal, that is entertaining all mm -hmm. these cases. And I think, you know, Jessica, 
that's even worse than somebody who might be mentally ill, uh, you know, sort of glamming it up for media attention. But the fact that um, he's being taken seriously and he might get a payday out of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty shocking um, that, first of all, that Elmo voice notes that we've been hearing that allegedly came from him is the creepiest, most disturbing thing. <laughs> it was like my first day, like, diving into this whole story, and that was the first thing I heard, and I just, like, set the mood for the entire story. It's creepy and disturbing. And um, But, yeah, the Human Rights Tribunal, that, you know, it's, is this really, is this 2019 modern-day human rights? I'm wondering, and, and, it, and it's almost like a, a competing hierarchy of human rights. Does his right to have a, a female waxing provider um, overtake uh, her right to decline right. a client that she's uncomfortable with? Because perhaps, as with some of the cases, Jessica, she's working out of her own personal home. Mm -hmm. There are children around. Yeah. In fact, um, John Carpe for the, with the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, he sees this ultimately as a charter case. And what he said in a National Post story is, Canadians are guaranteed liberty and security of the person, which is incompatible with a legal obligation to handle male genitalia. So Canada's constitution trumps BC's Human Rights Code. I tend to believe that's true. But again, Jessica, it's one of these deals, I think, where the process is the penalty. Mm -hmm. All these salon providers, they don't want this kind of attention. They don't want these legal bills. And even if they win, they lose. Right. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the big issue. Just, Jessica Yaniv has put himself into uh, a protected class. Yeah. You know, and so it's this victimhood scale. So, you know, originally like, the Human Rights Tribunal, that is, you know, that was put in place to actually protect human rights. So, so you know, a long time ago, women didn't have certain rights. But now, you know, women aren't as high up on the victim scale. So now we have transgender women that are going after regular women. And so it's just this victimhood mentality and the scale. And again, it's, it's, the, it's the danger of these protected classes. And, and Jessica, on that note, these, uh, I call them fake women or faux women, uh, claiming that they're entitled to all the rights of real women. Just where is the feminist movement on this? The feminist movement? I, have, I actually, I don't know where they stand. I know um, for some time, Jessica Yaniv did get a lot of support. She, she was getting, he, she was getting a lot of support um, from the transgender community, from the LBG, LBGT community. Um, but it seems like they're pushing away now and they're backing off. Mm. Um, but they're backing off silently. Yeah. They're just trying to distance themselves quietly without uh, bringing too much attention to it because this person gives a really bad name to that community and they've realized that and so instead of shining more light on it I think they're just backing away slowly and just trying to make it just go away hoping it will go away well they should I think be denouncing somebody doing this I mean if you're a feminist you are standing up for 50% of the population of the planet as opposed to a percent of a percent of a percent of some man uh, you know gaming the system like I say um, maybe for a financial payout with some other cases we've seen to win sporting events 
plants where you have males with you know more muscle mass uh, you know more testosterone uh, just cleaning up when competing against real females and I think it's a it's a disgrace that modern feminism isn't standing up for their own constituency um, but you know more uh, the thing I find really shocking Jessica is that just last weekend we had the pride parade in Vancouver and they and, you know, and, and the, the gay, you know, the LGBT community for decades, they've always been about acceptance and tolerance and understanding. And yet they banned from marching in the parade uh, the University of British Columbia and the Vancouver Public Library, ostensibly because they rented out space to speakers whose comments they considered to be transphobic. So I hear all this clamoring for tolerance, yet this community seems you know, at the drop of the hat, ready to ban, shun, and disgrace you in the media if they don't like what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Can you square this circle for me? Well, I, I don't think I can. <laughs> that's that's what it seems like social justice is here, like in Canada in 2019. Yeah. You know, and uh, what's actually shocking, I just heard uh, one of the one of the um, people I interviewed in the documentary, Jen Smith. Uh, he's a transgender male yes um, so he is a male dresses like a woman but he still um, he doesn't um, go against reality he knows he's a man um, so he was actually at the um, at the pride parade in Vancouver um, I can't remember um, or if we, if I if I have a picture of the sign that he was holding but he has been very outspoken about the dangers of the transgender ideology that poses on women and children specifically mm. so he is um, it, part of that community, but they kind of tried to shun him. And actually, at the Pride Parade the, that last weekend, he was there with his sign, and Pride staffers told him that he can't be there. <laughs> and there's, uh, they were carrying around what looked like a large, uh, like net type of blanket, and he's he said that they were literally chasing him out and trying to block him out and eventually wanted to wrap him up and get him out of the pride parade. Wow, unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Jessica, we're going to watch this story closely. Uh, it was fantastic journalism on the ground by, by you. And, and like I said, I hope all our audience uh, watches that. So we'll see where this, this goes. And there you have it, folks. And, you know, next week the Canadian National Exhibition opens up in Toronto. There used to be something at the X called the Freak Show. That was gotten rid of uh, decades ago. But really, who needs a freak show when you have something like the Yanev case ongoing on a daily basis in British Columbia? Keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. statement of fact that nobody seems to be disagreeing with, not even Al Gore, Minnesotans consume more than 12.8 million gallons of petroleum products every day and Minnesota relies on imports to meet its energy needs. Minnesota's two refineries produce more than two-thirds of the state's petroleum products and 80% of these products are refined from Canadian crude oil. And yet... Here comes some rich Hollywood kook flying into town on his luxury private jet to tell those Minnesotans they don't need those jobs. They don't need that tax base and they don't need this oil. This is Hollywood liberal colonialism telling middle America what they can and can't do for work. 
Line 3 started operation in 1968. It runs from Hardesty, Alberta to Superior, Wisconsin. But it's aging and corroding, as all aging things do, and so the company wants to replace the old line to prevent a spill, which is something I thought environmentalists on the left tell me they care about. Time is running out on Line 3 to be replaced. Do you know who's been notably silent about the high-profile opposition to Line 3? That would be the government that approved Line 3. Line 3 was one of the two pipelines approved by Justin Trudeau's government, along with the Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Of course, neither one of these projects has been completed or, for that matter, even started yet. So, did you hear the one about Al Gore flying into Minnesota, via private jet of course, to lecture Minnesotans on the horror of Canadian crude oil that flows into their state via Line 3, even though Minnesotans depend on Canadian oil for more than 80% of their energy needs? And how about this for an added punchline? The federal Liberals are saying absolutely nothing in terms of defending this already approved privately owned pipeline project. But then again, Al Gore and Climate Barbie, well, they're best buds, buds on the lecture circuit. So maybe telling Al Gore to clamp down on the carbon emissions coming out of his mouth, well, that would be a tad rude, right? Joining me now with more on this story is the host of The Gun Show, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Hey, David, thanks for having me back on the show. It is always, always a pleasure, and Sheila, Maybe I've been misinformed, but I've heard that it can get freezing cold in Minnesota come wintertime. How would Minnesotans heat their homes if not for Canadian crude? Well, isn't that the truth, though? Uh, <laughs> the statistics are that 13 million gallons of oil are used every day by Minnesotans. They have two refineries producing two-thirds of their oil and gas needs, but... They need Canadian oil to put in that refinery. 80% of the oil they use comes from Canada, which means it comes from Alberta. It actually comes from a tank farm in Hardesty, Alberta, and it goes to Minnesotans via Line 3. That's a pipeline that terminates in, I think, Superior, Wisconsin. The thing with Line 3, though, is it's getting old, real old, like to the point where the company itself needs to replace the line. Otherwise, it's they're going to have an environmental catastrophe on their hands. And that's really the irony in all of this is they're protesting something that if it isn't replaced is going to cause a major environmental disaster. Well, well this is the thing, uh, Sheila. Logically speaking, if I was an environmentalist, you know, I could say, yeah, I'm anti-oil, but until we get an alternative, you know, I'm beholden to this product. But in the here and now, the clock is ticking on this pipeline and the potential for a leak. So we've got to do something about that because that will be a here and now environmental disaster if oil starts spilling in on the ground. I, I, I don't understand the, the logic process here in trying to, you know, establish the perfect conditions for a disaster. Well, then you have guys like Al Gore flying into town on his private jet to tell Minnesotans that they can somehow magically do without 80% of their oil tomorrow. Um, if they don't have Canadian oil in Minnesota, Al Gore doesn't fly back home. Um, and he's there to train activists to cause basic 
carnage on the ground to replicate what we saw during the Dakota Access Pipeline protest while he's safe and comfortable back in his home in Hollywood or wherever the heck he lives. And and Minnesotans are left to deal with the damage that these environmental colonists from all over the country and all over the world will leave in their wake. But, you know, and Sheila, what, what I found stunning in your video, you mentioned that the Democratic governor, Tim Walsh, he's also on side in terms of uh, being anti-pipeline. And, but, you know, I, and I'm not trying to be confrontational here with the environmental movement or, or anything, but what do we do to replace the oil from line three, is it a matter of shutting down line three and stop getting Canadian crude and in the uh, at least temporarily bringing in, I don't know, Saudi crude from from other access points, maybe by rail? I mean, we don't have dilithium crystals like they do in the Star Trek universe. So what heats the Minnesotan home and, and powers the Minnesotan uh, SUV without this oil? But that's the problem here. The governor is also off in la-la land because he thinks that he can bring his state to carbon neutrality. I think it was by 2050 is what he said. So he wants to do that with no infrastructure and with no real solution because renewables, as we know, are unreliable. And Minnesota might be one of those places that is equally as cold as where I live and receive as much snow as where I live and where winters are as long and summers are as hot. Um, so how do you do that feasibly without fossil fuels? And according to the governor, he's opposed to a pipeline that will bring him 80% of his energy needs. And uh, we shouldn't forget our own elected officials on our yep. side of the border, uh, Sheila. As you adroitly mentioned, this is already um, a pre-approved, privately funded pipeline. And yet, um, where is Justin Trudeau? Where is uh, uh, Climate Barbie on this issue? Uh, they don't care. So as far as I see it, this is the very definition of lose-lose. It's Minnesotans being de uh, deprived more than 80% of their energy needs. And Canada, in the energy sector, receiving yet another black eye. This is madness. And, and the madness isn't coming from, you know, weirdo environmentalists. It's coming from elected officials of the most senior levels. It's, it's staggering to me, Sheila. Yeah, I, I mean, Minnesota Governor Walz, his it's his job to protect the jobs of Minnesotans. These are high-paying refinery jobs that will just vanish in two refineries if this pipeline isn't replaced. And Catherine McKenna and Justin Trudeau, this is a pipeline their government has approved. It's passed the regulatory process here. But they're not saying a word because they are friends with Al Gore. They've held Al Gore up as some sort of technical pipeline expert, some sort of environmental wizard, a scientist, a climatologist. He's really not any of those things. He's just a huckster with a broken crystal ball. Um, but they can't attack his credibility because any credibility that he has, they've given to him by making appearances with him, um, patting him on the back. Um, giving his movies positive reviews, applauding his activism. So now how do they attack Al Gore as a know-nothing now when they've held him up as an expert in the past? They've painted themselves into a corner because they're liberals and they're not very bright. You know, it's, it's amazing. I mean, uh, Al Gore makes Bill Nye, the science guy, look like Albert Einstein practically. But the, <laughs> um, the, the thing is, the other thing that makes my spidey sense tingle with these kind of stories, Sheila, is that 
Al Gore, his new pet project is something called the Climate Reality Project. Um, they always throw in the word nonprofit, but Al Gore, since he left the White House, he's been profiting immensely from all this climate hysteria. How is it that the, the cause of environmentalism and, and all this nonprofit, um, you know, championing of, of, of other alternative energies um, always makes the likes of an Al Gore extremely wealthy? <laughs> Well, you know, fear drives movie ticket sales and fear drives um, speaking circuit sales. But Al Gore, from what I understand, is making himself very wealthy in trading carbon credits. And so if you create a nonprofit that scares everybody into um, this phony money of carbon credits, then, hey, you're creating the conditions to make yourself get rich through the work of the nonprofit that you're the at the helm of, um, but it, it's just really frightening. The level of credibility that uh, politicians that, you know, place themselves to be our moral and intellectual superiors are lending to Al Gore, who has been repeatedly and repeatedly debunked. According to Al Gore, we're supposed to not have any ice in the uh, Arctic right now. And, you know, I just read a story the other day about how ice we're ordering more icebreakers. <laughs> so I mean, what pick a lane, people? Wow. And, and Sheila, uh, just before we wrap, one last question. You alluded to it uh, a little earlier. I was just wondering if you could um, uh, weigh in a little more. Uh, that Dakota protest, um, when yep. the protesters were finally cleared out, um, they really did leave a bit of an environmental catastrophe behind. Mountains of trash, burnt out cars and construction equipment, even abandoned animals. I mean, for goodness sakes, where's PETA on this file? Um, I guess what I'm getting at is that these new age hippies, they really talk a mean game. But when it comes to walking the walk, mm, not really great environmental stewards, are they? No, they're not. And it was all allowed to foster and fester under President Obama. Um, the Dakotans didn't want those people polluting their state. None of them are really from their state. And it took President Trump to get in there, get everybody out of there and get that pipeline built. I think it was um, 120 days um, after years and years and years of protests and mayhem and arson and abandoned animals and water level contamination. It was 120 days from President Trump signing um, Dakota Access Pipeline into life. Uh, until it was built. And, you know, that's that's the kind of uh, thing that Canada really needs that we, you know, uh, a leader who wants to get things done, criticism be damned. Uh, and it's reflective in the American economy right now. And, you know, we see the flip side here happening in Canada. Indeed. Well, Sheila, great report on yet yeah, more madness. And let's face it, that's what this is. This is madness mm -hmm. when it comes to the energy sector. There's no other way of stating it. And uh, thank you so much uh, for your time, as always. Thanks, David. Have a great weekend. You got it. You too. And that was Sheila Gunn-Reed from Alberta. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. They say everyone loves a parade, but I wasn't witnessing a whole lot of love at the Vancouver Gay Pride Parade the other day. Here's the skinny. According to CTV, the Vancouver Pride Society banned the University of British Columbia and the Vancouver Public Library from participating in this year's event. Gracious, that sounds serious. 
What did those two august institutions do to get them removed from the guest list? Well, it turns out that both facilities had hosted speakers who have concerns about transgender rights. Yeah, transgender rights. You know, folks, like the right for a fake female to get his penis and testicles waxed at a female-only spa. Those kind of precious rights that we should all be fighting for. Indeed, here's what Andrea Arnott, the executive director of the Vancouver Pride Society, had to say, quote, As an organization, we do have the right to say who can march with us and who can't. When there's transphobic or homophobic behavior, obviously we're not going to let those people into our parade, end quote. You got that? If you have a differing opinion, it's no longer a matter of let's just agree to disagree, but rather you are labeled as a transphobe or a homophobe and you're deemed persona non grata. And it's all done in the name of taking a stand against hatred? After all, that speaker who spoke at UBC last month, Jen Smith, well, she's been known to, (laughs) brace yourself, refer to transgender women as men. Yeah, I think if six foot five little Rebecca is sporting five o'clock shadow and an Adam's apple, chances are she's a he. Meanwhile, back in January, feminist blogger Megan Murphy spoke at the library, Her Crime Against Humanity. Well, she subscribes to the fact that, again, brace yourselves, transgender women are not real women. You know something? I buy into Murphy's position, too. Don't! What am I saying? I think I just got myself banned from next year's parade. Well, the irony is stunning. For a community that has long clamored for tolerance and acceptance, it would seem that there are elements in the gay community that can be the most intolerant and unaccepting when it comes to those with contrarian opinions. And the solution is obvious. Those with contrary opinions must be vilified and banned. Yeah, that'll show them. And of course, Justin, diversity is our strength. Trudeau applauds such a stance because embracing diversity, well, that doesn't include diversity of thought. In any event, here's what you had to say about the Vancouver Pride Parade, taking a measure of pride in banning those institutions that hosted speakers whose only sin was having an opinion that runs contrary to the current politically correct narrative. Jay Steiner, 47911, writes, I'm gay and not even I would go to one of these pride events. They used to be fun, but about eight years ago, they turned into hateful, radical left gatherings where everyone who asked questions would be promptly attacked and accused of some kind of ism. Well, Mr. Steiner, I know many in the gay and lesbian community who share your position, and naturally, to the leftists running these gay pride parades, right-of-center gay folk are shunned too because, well, their sexual orientation might be okay, their politics are not, all of which is why the police aren't allowed to march in the Toronto Pride Parade because police uniforms are triggering? Well, at least according to the brainiacs who comprise Black Lives Matter. We are asking for the removal of that triggering symbolism in order for all marginalized communities to be safe at Pride. Joseph McBride writes, Yet a Christian baker gets taken to court every time they don't want to make a cake for gays. Well, that's right, Joseph. You know, I think that's called having your cake and eating it too. But of all the rides I've taken, I like best... Free speech advocate writes, 
I'm proud to be gay, said the gay man. I am proud to be trans, said the trans man. I am proud to be straight, said the homophobe. So, tell me what's on your mind. Gay people bother me. Is it because they dress better than you? Mike Joseph writes, Hey, God wants his rainbow back. Since when did they have permission to take God's rainbow? Hey, I never thought about that, Mike. The whole cultural appropriation angle. Brilliant. And we all know how horrible cultural appropriation is in 2019, right? Never mind. Rainbow Sparkle Jewel writes, This isn't fair. I want to be banned from the Pride Parade too. Oh, that's easy peasy, Rainbow Sparkle Jewel. Just start saying things about the alphabet community that are even remotely offensive or triggering, and you'll get your wish. What the heck was that? Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night. <laughs>